Hey folks, it's Rob here. The episode you're about to hear was recorded a week ago. That might not seem a long time, and normally you wouldn't have any cause to notice such a thing at all, but this past week has seen both David Warner and Bernard Cribbins sadly pass. So you'll find that this ep has nothing about the passing of David or Bernard in it. Indeed, at one stage we find ourselves talking about David in the present tense, as though he's very much alive, because, well, at the time, he very much was. I just wanted to note this up front for anyone wondering why the news isn't in the show. When Dave is back from Europe and we're recording the end of August episode, we'll have some words, probably as one of our short topics, on that ep. And now, without any further ado, on with the show. We do have a ton to get through in this episode. Common sense is finally prevailing. There was controversy this month, Dave. I'm not particularly excited by that. Secrets and things on set. I haven't told them anything. I think this is just good times all round. Every Doctor Who is liked by somebody, and that's a really good thing. Dave-o, my Doctor. I know we disagree on this one. First world problems, Dave. I get why fans are asking those questions. Oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. It doesn't compute. It's the elephant in the room. That's okay. Fandom versus the BBC. The carnal sin. Moving along. Lunch. Hello, I'm Rob. Hello, I'm Dylan. And you're listening to the Doctor Who show where, for the first time in a year or maybe two, Dave has returned to his jet-setting ways and is off enjoying himself somewhere in Europe. So I'm joined here by Dylan Rees from the Doctor Who Too Hot for TV podcast. Hello, Dylan. Hello, how you doing? I'm glad to see that uh, while, while he's in Europe, I am indeed broadcasting live from Europe myself. <laughs> yes, you think he could have dialed in or something. Yeah, but... exactly. It's just lazy, if you ask me. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very happy to be here, nonetheless. Excellent. It does give you a chance to be back on the show, because it's been a while since we had you on, I think. It, it has. It was, what, the tail end of last year that we did a primary sources? God, something like that, yeah. Time just zips past me <laughs> these days. <laughs> now, at the end of our last episode, we announced what this episode's feature would be about, and, and anyone who's downloaded this episode will have already seen it in the title. But for the sake of throwing it out there, this was your pick, Dylan, for today. Who will we be talking about later in this episode? So today, we're going to be talking about uh, a writer from the classic series, which is Dennis Spooner. Now, I won't jump too much into it now, but just to say that Spooner is one of my favourite Doctor Who writers, certainly from the classic series, and he's somebody that I don't feel gets a lot of love. So I just wanted to talk a bit about why I enjoy his work, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very exciting to talk about Dennis. He's a guy who, you're right, he doesn't get a lot of attention on podcasts as a topic in his own right, at least. I mean, people yeah. talk about the stories he wrote or or maybe script edited. But, uh, but yes, that's later on. In the meantime, I have a couple of listener reviews to get to. Now, we always read these at the start of the show. So without any further ado, sit back and, and relax, Dylan. I'm going to read what some of our listeners have been saying lately. Great stuff. This first one is from Field 753 from the US of A. This came in on the 4th of July. How appropriate, because they're in the US of A. Uh, number one, five stars. Rob and Dave, thank you so much for all the various versions of your show that you provide. I listen to so many Doctor Who podcasts and enjoy them all, but yours is truly the best I have ever heard. And since you read these reviews out loud on your show, then you will have to say... <laughs> Here we go. 
Ooga ooga, flim flam booger, monster. <laughs> I just made a big boom boom in my diaper. Icky icky icky, awooga, awooga. I like monkey pickles. Thank you both. You are the best. I have to go boom boom. Braveheart Tegan, thanks. That's from Leah in Colorado. Wow, Leah is. Uh written quite a highly critical message there that's what i'm getting like she's really thought about the process of how you guys put together the podcast and uh it's a it's a great essay she provided absolutely thank you very much leah <laughs> this next one is from props guy via apple podcast he's from canada uh and this came in on the 6th of july great podcast for who fans five stars I listen because I like the two people talking format and these two people have great chemistry and they keep on topic. Good friendly chit chat about Doctor Who and some other topics where applicable. Great stuff. Yeah, thank you so much, Props Guy. Uh, you notice that we keep on topic. We do have a run sheet that we use to do that. And you, well, you'd be surprised how many people meander around a subject matter for about four hours. And sometimes, sometimes I lose the will to live listening to some, some podcasts like that. Indeed. Uh, moving quickly on, let's get into the news. Now, there's not a lot of news going around at the moment. This has been the case for the last few months. Yeah. I, th I think, uh, Dylan, if, if you've been looking around at Twitter. Yeah, I mean, as you say, there was, there's been kind of like a barrage. There was a big barrage of news around um, the 60th anniversary um, with basically the announcements of various people who were filming in public because uh, the BBC knew that they weren't going to get away with it. But mm. now, as you say, it's kind of news light. But there is a bit of 60th anniversary news in the form of Big Finish news. And I don't think this is that surprising, but Christopher Eccleston has revealed that he is recording or has recorded a new story with the David Warner Doctor, who is sort of the unbound Big Finish alternative universe Doctor. And I don't think... Yeah, I don't think it's very surprising, but I mean, to hear those two actors together, I think is is quite exciting. Oh, absolutely. And, and I thought this would be a good piece of news for you to be talking about, given it's right in the, the wheelhouse of your podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the David Warner Doctor, that, that Unbound piece, that came out a long time ago, didn't it? It did indeed. And actually, it's funny we should bring this up now because... Um, too Hot for TV is taking a little break at the moment, but when our next season comes back, we'll be looking at that first David Warner audio adventure. But it was followed up by another one a few years later, and then since then, it's uh, David Warner's Doctor has been very much in the Bernie Summerfield universe. So there's been about four or five box sets with the David Warner Doctor and Bernice. Oh, see, that's just gone whooshing past me because I, I don't listen to the Benice audios and, and even Big Finish itself. I'm so far behind <laughs> on it's unbelievable. But that's really interesting to know, actually. Yeah, well, I think it's because, and this has been said in interviews, David Warner's done a lot of work for Big Finish, but him and Lisa Bauman are in a relationship. So it kind of makes sense that those two are together on audio as well, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. It's, it's like a Kylie and Jason kind of thing. <laughs> They are the well, Kylie and Jason or, of Doctor Who. Or, or Scott and Charlene, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, marvellous. Yeah, oh, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm surprised how far in advance. Oh, look, I know they, they do record these in advance, but this is a long way in advance. I mean, what that that's it's, it's over a year. It's almost a year and a half, I guess. I mean, I believe they've got stories stacked up until 2028, I think is the, the, the furthest that they've gone. So Gosh. this isn't that far in advance at all, I guess, in, in that <laughs> run of things. 
Well, when when they renegotiate the contract, I, I, I guess it's quite a bargaining chip to say, well, we've already recorded the next five yeah. years worth or whatever. <laughs> Gosh, okay. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing that. Please I've do. got a piece uh, here uh, for the role players out there because I don't think it's a stretch to suggest there will be tabletop gamers or more specifically role players in the Doctor Who community. I think it's the kind of geeky hobby that... Yeah, they're kind of one step removed from each other, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's probably overrepresented in the Doctor Who community. So I, I thought I'd flag that uh, Doctors and Daleks is a new Doctor Who RPG uh, that's based on Dungeons and Dragons. So you can see how they got the name. It's still D&D, Doctors mm. and Daleks, based on uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5E rules, if that makes any sense to folk out there. Means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess through the years, Dungeons and Dragons have done different iterations of their rules. And I think Games Workshop does this with the Warhammer universe and stuff like that as well. Uh, but these, so these are the, specifically the 5E rules, if that's important to you out there. Basically, they've taken those rules as a basis and then put their own stuff on top. So that I guess rules that are designed for medievalish combat heavy type stuff will now work in a in a sci-fi world where it's not as combat heavy cubicle seven are the people behind it so go to their website to read more Uh, apparently there's a rule book already and two more books coming one called the alien archive i assume that'll be a listing of all sorts of monsters you can put into your games yeah and uh the keys of scaravore which is an adventure you can play through those two books are coming out soon and all three will be available in a collector's box so if you want to get all three maybe hold off buying the rules for now get them in the collector's box although i I did go to the cubicle 7 website it's not cheap it's about 140 euro for the three books wowzers that's that's a lot of money uh it is, but for, for RPGs, I think the, the rule sets, the game books, do tend to be on the heavy side because right. I guess that's primarily where these companies make their money on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I just have so... I just have little knowledge of that world at all, but so I couldn't even comment. That could be really cheap or really expensive. Who knows? <laughs> so that's all the news we've got this month. Should we move on to some short topics? Yeah, I think so. I think so. All righty. So, I mean, the first short topic that I th- that we discussed or that we're going to discuss today is um, obviously the Dalek movies have been re-released for the 400th time in my <laughs> lifetime alone, I think. But they have been re-released in 4K UHD disc and Blu-ray in these wonderfully repackaged things, big collector sets with books and postcards and a limited edition Doctor Who coin. And the films obviously are looking better than ever. Because, you know, they were shot on film, they had big budgets, they're the best-looking bits of classic Doctor Who, certainly, that exist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they just they just look glorious in Technicolor and beyond. Exactly. Someone was mentioning this set uh, the other day on Twitter, and I said, oh, my, I've still got the... I've got the release. It's a, it's a DVD. It's a single-width DVD, but it's got two discs in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got both, both the films on it. And that came out... God, it could be 10 years ago. It could be 20 years ago. Yeah. I've sort of lost track. But that's the one I've got. I've been wondering whether I should upgrade. The Australian release isn't as um, grandiose as the UK release with all the extras and stuff like that. Oh, and I've been wondering. Yeah, it is. It is. And I've been wondering, should I upgrade or should I just pop it on 
the DVD player again and just think, <laughs> well, that's probably good enough. Do I need it to be 4K? I mean, my TV isn't 4K. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that you might have your answer there. But um, I tell you, I, d- I have picked them up. I haven't watched Dalek Invasion of Earth yet, but I watched the Daleks and it looks fantastic. I watched it on a big telly at home one night with a couple of beers and it was just great to kind of get lost in that world it's got some new extras because i think they've all sort of had the same extras on them over the years which is a commentary with some of the cast and then kevin davis's amazing documentary dalek mania about the two films but on these ones you do have there is a new commentary by rob shearman mark gatiss and uh, kim newman the author and critic that sort of shows up on all these things and so it's basically it's a professional fan commentary oh that's nice it's it's really interesting stuff because they know their stuff they and they they pull things out of it that you just never you wouldn't notice yourself and just it's really nice sitting there it's almost like sitting with a couple of mates who are really informed about the subject but also able to poke fun at it at it a little bit and i think that for me was what sold it more than seeing these films that I've seen for the thousands of the thousandth <laughs> time again and again. But um, so that was my favourite little feature on there. There's also a little feature with Emily Cook from Doctor Who magazine and Big Finish because she had never seen them, so it's kind of her response to them first time round. That's really interesting. And I was going to say, yeah, they probably when you listen to a commentary by by fans, it's like, yes, this is one of my people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they sometimes make jokes or asides that you would make yourself. Yeah, I like that sort of thing. Yeah, me too, me too. And it's um, in terms of sort of classic cinema or sort of pulpy classic cinema, Kim Newman and Mark Gatiss show up a lot on sort of uh, Amicus releases and things like that. So, and it's always, I for me, they're a real bonus thing of why I, I buy the physical media of a lot of those things because I already own them on dvd but upgrading to blu-ray isn't always about the picture quality for me it's about those additional documentaries and things like that and commentaries and and these are no exception it's it's a really really strong set i think that's really nice well uh, that's also a beautiful segue i think into what i wanted to talk about for my short topic which is extras on the season 22 box set which came out recently because there's there's a lot of recycled stuff from previous DVD releases. There's no hiding from that. When you see the list of stuff, it's like, oh, yep, seen it, seen it, yeah. seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it. But there is some stuff I've been drawn to already and watched that I, I think really stands out. So okay. I'll mention I'll mention it. And if you've seen any of these, oh yeah, uh, I, the, the first one you will have definitely, because although it is old, it hasn't actually been on a release since the VHS days. And that's the Colin Baker years. Oh, yes. Uh, piece which i never owned on vhs i knew it existed i'd see it in the shops and i'd be like oh i've i've seen all these shows why do i need a sort of a clip show of it when i was a kid this because that would have been when i was early teens i was thinking "Uh, i I don't get this i I, i've got these stories you know the whole thing of colin baker in between you know doing some witty asides Mm. just didn't appeal to me so i never bought this and i'd never seen it how was it this time round? I I really enjoyed it. Colin seems to comment on the women in the clips uh, every yes. other clip. <laughs> it's something I noticed. But but just generally, just seeing him in the era or, or, or slightly after the era, but still looking doctorish and such yeah. and, and all of that, I, I thought, oh, this is a real treat. So that's the first thing I pulled out. 
I'm I'm quite nostalgic for that Colin Baker years tape because, uh, as you say, you've seen quite a lot of those stories. I haven't seen quite a lot of them, so it was nice to see oh. clips from them. And you know, he, there was always this thing in the UK when I was twelve or whatever when it came out that perhaps these stories I was never going to get to see them. It, it was still fairly on in the VHS run, and we didn't have cable and things like that. So right. it was it was whatever was in the shop. So it was that was like a real exciting glimpse of things i'd never seen before at the time gotcha oh that's great oh well we both got something out of um, yeah. seeing it again i guess <laughs> we did uh the next thing i pulled out was the michael grade and conversation piece yeah. uh where matthew sweet talks to michael grade one of the the things that stood out to me was there seemed to be a disconnect when he talked about worldwide uh bbc worldwide that is early in the piece he says um Matthew Sweet makes the point that Doctor Who made a lot of money for the BBC, and and he's like, well, that's no reason to keep something going, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. But then later in the piece, he talks about how he was getting all this money through Worldwide, Uh, and I think Matthew Sweet tries to to draw him on the topic again, yeah, and even gets him to say, oh, yes, that money coming in from Worldwide funded all these other shows. And you think, so it wasn't a reason to keep the show going that it was making a lot of money yet later you admit that it made a lot of money so you could make a lot of other shows yeah and i was like that's a disconnect there surely there's there's a lot of that in there and look michael grade he isn't the villain that i think he was painted as in the 80s uh it was a long time ago but the interview for me rings true it doesn't ring true it's somebody who's used to telling these stories and used to telling anecdotes much like a lot of Doctor Who kind of celebrities at conventions and things like this. But this is all very kind of headline-grabbing stuff. I don't think... I think there's a disconnect with the truth in a lot of it because never let the truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Of course, there is a Colin Baker in conversation, Nicola Bright in conversation, both of Matthew Sweet as well. They're very good. I like those because he doesn't just go back to the Doctor Who greatest hits type stuff and really no. does go through their life and, and a lot of other stuff. I think that's really great. Yeah, he, he has a way of kind of... Because he knows that given the same questions, he'll get the same answers. And sometimes he'll ask the same questions in a, in a different way and get different mm. answers. Like, I, I always remember on the first one that he did with Tom Baker, he goes, to, oh, of course you were working in a, uh, a building site when you got cast as Doctor Who and then you would expect Tom to go into his normal things and he goes well how did that make you feel coming from this background and working this job to suddenly being this person and you suddenly got Tom casting his mind back to how he actually felt at that time and he's really good yeah. at pulling those things out rather than just the generic anecdotes yeah exactly that's good stuff uh, and just finally I will mention there's uh, what's called the Panopticon tapes it's a 97 Panopticon uh, with Colin Baker, Jackie Pierce, and JNT. Yeah. Uh, and I just love that these things have been filmed. Uh, I've got a lot of real-time DVDs here that have similar stuff on them at times. Uh, the Davison one, for example, does. I love seeing old convention footage, especially in the days where Doctor Who hadn't taken off again and people weren't on that um, that trail of going around the world to, to cons with their time-worn stories. You'd sometimes get very surprising answers. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Um, I was at that convention. I actually haven't watched, rewatched the panel yet, but I love oh, really? old, I love old convention footage. And as you say, like people are doing it, knowing it's being filmed, but not thinking it's ever going to be seen. So you really get kind of 
you kind of get the warts and all stories for the first time. I think there's enough time, especially in the 90s, where people have so far removed from Doctor Who and it's a past concern that you really just sort of, they just go, yeah, I'm going to start to tell all. And now we're at a stage in fandom where that's kind of part of the story and then they'll get, they're willing to tell even more now that it's so far removed and that the 1980s was a long time ago. Exactly, yeah. So look, they, they were my hits from uh, the season 22 box set. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's loads of other great stuff on there. I'm a big, I know, I don't know whether you are, but I really like the behind the sofa features. Not so much for the people of, of the time watching it, like the cast members of crew, but when it's Sylvester McCoy watching Colin Baker and things like that, I, re- <laughs> I really enjoy that stuff because I, it's, it's just a, an interesting idea to get people to watch other people's stories. Yeah, it's fun. I, I am so grateful for the people who put these box sets together. There's a, there's a lot Me of love too. in them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, well, at the end of the short topics, it brings us to the main topic of Dennis Spooner. Indeed. I've got a bit of a, a bit of a spiel about him, but you brought the topic to the table, Dylan. So I think you should kick us off with, uh, well, why did you want to talk Dennis today? Well, as I said... I don't think he gets enough love and I don't think he gets enough kind of credit for his contribution to Doctor Who. I think he brings a lot of heart to the show. I think he brings real characters and I think he makes the show funny in a way that it wasn't funny before. I think he Mm. helps kind of shape the show as we know it today and turn it from a sci-fi show for kids into into the family-friendly success that has something for everyone. And so I've always loved his stories. And so when you got in touch and said, uh, do you want to come on? It was the first thing I thought of, actually. Yeah, and and, and subsequently, I know Dave is very jealous because he was like, <laughs> yes. "Oh yeah, that that would have been a good one to talk about." Yeah, I heard on the end of the uh, podcast of your last episode, I was like, "Oh, sorry, Dave." Yeah, we've only done the show for seven years, Dave. We could have done him if you really wanted. I'm kidding, Dave. Kidding. Love you, Dave. Uh, look, I, I was hinting during the intro of the show that, that, yeah, he's a guy who doesn't get a lot of attention on podcasts, at least as a, a topic in his own right. And I'll expand on that by saying there's a lot of names from Doctor Who history that people know. Uh, even people who got on board with the show in 2005 and only have a passing familiarity with the classic era. If they listen to podcasts or they're on Twitter, they they start to absorb names like Lambert and Dix and Nation, Mm. you know, and and people have some idea about them, even if they're not really into the classic era. And, of course, fans of the classic era know those all names and, and more besides. You start to throw in Barry Letts or JNT, Philip Hinchcliffe, Andrew Cartmel, and so on. But I find it takes not a not a special, but a fan who digs a bit deeper to know Dennis Spooner. You know, all the people I've just name checked are, are, are A tier production people to my yeah. mind, where it, where Spooner is arguably B tier, and this is when it comes to perception only. I want to add, because when it comes to what he brought to Doctor Who, I think he's an absolute star and a very important cog in the machine and does do some important stuff for Doctor Who ongoing, which we'll probably get to. So when you first tossed up Dennis as today's topic, my first 10 nanosecond reaction was, oh, that's a bit niche. (laughs) But then my brain processed what he actually did for the series as a writer, as a script editor. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Let's take Dennis to the masses. Yeah. Well, I think it's also this thing of everybody talks about the time meddler and the Romans and they, they'll talk about it for a whole episode. But actually, I think there's more interesting stuff. Uh, you know, people talk less about the Reign of Terror, but, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. But um, 
<laughs> you know, they've kind of been done to death as singular stories, but when you look at them as kind of part of a body of work, I think you start to see some really interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. So, look, where do you want to take this? This is your topic. Okay, well, I mean, I thought, first of all, rather than just jumping straight into the, the episodes, there, there are a lot of things that run through his um, through his stories and through his work, mm-hmm. and lots of different tropes. And we'll call them spoonerisms, but I'm Tish, sorry. I've been uh, <laughs> keeping that in the back, back for a while. So one of the main tropes of Spooner scripts, I think, or at least his three kind of original ones he does co-write another one and rewrite somebody else's which we'll come to a bit later Mm -hmm. is there aren't any real villains in any of them instead he kind of relies on human nature or in uh, the case of the time meddler time lord nature nobody's a hundred percent evil it's all shades of gray there are a lot of people that try and screw each other over for their own good but i don't think you can pinpoint them and go that's the bad guy even in the time meddler is the monk a bad guy he's up to no good but the vikings do worse things right yeah, very, very, very much so. Do you think this has come from what he was comfortable writing before Doctor Who? Like, Doctor Who tends to be like, here is the story, here is the monster, they are bad, or here yeah. is the villain, they are bad. Is it just because he's come from a different place? Or is it that he just wants to write these kind of stories? I mean, I think, you know, his background is quite an interesting one, actually. He was a stand-up comedian, and you can obviously see that in his work. He was also a professional footballer for a little bit. a little bit, And, you know, he started off writing Coronation Street and things like that. So I think he was very much focused on the people. And I think mm. he sees, I mean, he sees, in some ways, he sees the worst in people, the selfishness, the greed, how men treat women throughout history. And then you also... There's a lot of lightness. There's a lot of not lightness and tender moments in his stories. You get like the camaraderie of Ian and his cellmate in the Romans, Ian and Barbara's relationship in the Romans, and the the, the Doctor and Vicky in the Romans and the Time Meddler. There's all these great relationships at the heart of it. Mm. But then also, people do terrible things. I mean, uh, we spoke a little bit about this off mic earlier. The, the the way women are treated in his stories, in the Reign of Terror, Barbara is basically hit on by the jailer, um, mm-hmm. and there's no two ways about it. Nero tries to sexually assault Barbara again in the Romans. It's played for laughs, but it isn't saying sexual assault is funny. It's going, look how vile and ridiculous people can be. And mm. the same Edith, the implication is that Edith is sexually assaulted by the Vikings in the Time Meddler. But he doesn't paint all these women, all these women as kind of helpless victims being attacked by creepy men. You know, when Barbara is approached by the jailer, she slaps him. She uses her wits to avoid Nero in the Romans. And nobody, mm-hmm. you know, nobody writes Vicky better than Dennis Booner does. She's proactive and she's a major part of the plot, um, especially in the time meddler when she's guiding Stephen around his first trip through time. So he's got, he's just able to pick on the worst of humanity, but never, I don't think, I don't think any of it's played lightly or play, played for laughs in the way that I think sometimes people think it's play, play, uh, played for laughs. Yeah, because if you if you ask me what, you know, some of his tropes would be, comedy would be part of it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But but this, yeah, look, I, I think that's a very interesting point uh, because especially for the 60s to be sort of calling out how women have been treated in time and not sort yeah. of flinching from it is reasonably rare, I would think. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's not a spoof. It's not, it's not the 1980s when all the bad guys kind of leer over Perry. And it just seems kind of almost uncalled for in a kind of yeah. a family show. Like it's it's very. I, I feel like it's considered and thought about of 
it, it's it's in some ways it's using it's a plot point in terms of peril but it is kind of a smart it, it it's a declaration and kind of a, a mission statement that kind of goes this this isn't okay hmm another another trope of his work and and i mean this can apply to other writers as well i'm not saying he's he's unique in this but his dialogue really seems to zing yes, in the stories does. he writes yeah yeah i mean the dialogue is great the, it, again it comes back to these believable characters like for me i think he's the writer that kind of softens the first doctor as a kid i saw um an earthly child and the daleks came out on vhs and i didn't like that version of William Hartnell. So mm-hmm. I was just like, well, that version of The Doctor isn't for me. And then in 1992, there was a repeat season on BBC Two, and the, suddenly the time meddler appears, and he's a different man. Even at the beginning yeah. of The Reign of Terror, like, he's angry at Ian and Barbara, but he isn't the bully that he's no. in those first few stories. He's mad because he doesn't actually want them to go. That's why he carries out the checks and doesn't just show, throw them out the TARDIS. Ian's in on the ruse. He invites the Doctor for a drink, knowing they're in the wrong place. And, you know, it's just lovely, lovely kind of character moments, beautiful dialogue. And, you know, the interaction between people, they they either care about each other or they want to do each other a lot of harm, but it feels real and kind of tangible. Yeah, that that twinkly sort of grandfather figure. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that kind of got lost a lot in uh, Twice Upon a Time, but we won't go down that rabbit <laughs> hole. <laughs> well, I, do, do you know what? My partner has been watching all of uh, new doctor who through from the beginning mm. and she, she got to twice upon a time and she was like this guy is one of my favorite characters <laughs> and so really yes and she was like i just think he's so funny i think he's great and um i was like do you want to see and actually i didn't even suggest this she suggested this she was like let's see some of his episodes and we watched um the second episode of the Daleks and the first episode. And she was like, it's exactly the same character. And she is what I would describe as a casual viewer. But it's this weird thing of us fans, we kind of go, oh, I'm not sure about this performance. But then a casual viewer sees it as exactly the same thing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Where shall we go next with Dennis? Should we, should we jump into the Reign of Terror? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we we recently looked at the Reign of Terror in our season one episode. Of course, you did back in May. And and as I said, there, it's a story I like quite a lot, and it sounds like you mm. like it too. From something you said earlier, um, yeah, I love the Reign of Terror. It's it's a season finale. It's but it's one of character arcs rather than huge events. And by this point, the TARDIS team have a relationship. They laugh and they argue and they care for each other. And um, by the end of that episode. It sets up Doctor Who's mission statement. It's almost Doctor Who's to boldly go where no man has gone before. That you know their destiny is in the stars, and from that moment, it becomes a show about a Doctor and his friends going on adventures in time and space, and not uh, an angry kidnapper trying to get people back to where he accidentally <laughs> took them from. <laughs> That's right. I mean, there, there are some jokey characters in the story. There are. Um, and there's, there's good dialogue throughout the piece, which I think are, let's say, Spoonerisms. I think they're Spoonerisms <laughs> worth calling out from the start. Um, yeah. But it's notable that this isn't the Romans, no, which is no. the one he does after this. It, it's not a comedy, you know. It's still more in the classic Hartnell vein. Uh, the stakes are high. Things can be a bit grim. Yeah. So it almost feels to me like a fully formed Spooner conforming to a slightly different style, maybe, yeah. like you know coming in and just having to conform to that maybe 
Yeah, I like. I feel like he's finding his feet. It kind of has all the ingredients of the Romans, but lacks the pace and the humour, I think, a little bit. And it's also not helped by the fact that two episodes are missing with uh, an interesting animation that represents them now. <laughs> That's true. And, and of course, you, you hinted at this, uh, you know, Doctor Who's mission statement. I, I can't help but call out that ending as well, where we get the star field and the Doctor's speech, our lives are important, at least to us. And yes, I did write this down. I'm not quoting it. <laughs> our lives are important, at least to us. And as we see, so we learn, our destiny is in the stars. So let's go and search for it. And you know, you could put that on a t-shirt as yeah. a quote from the 10th Doctor or the 12th Doctor. And people who wouldn't know any different would say, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And the beauty of that is, to my mind, that it is a quote from the Doctor. It feels like it could be from the 12th Doctor or it could be from the 1st Doctor. Absolutely. And right back with the 1st Doctor in Season 1, we've got our lead character saying that in a way that would work in 2022. And that's Dennis Bloody Spooner at work. I know, you know? exactly. It, as you say, you could... But if I was one of those people that went to conventions with a speech and asked a new doctor to say an old doctor's speech or something, that's the one I would take. But I'm not that guy. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that stuff. Uh, no, me neither. But, uh, you know, some people apparently like it. Um, mm. But, you know, again, it features like a lot of people just trying to get one over on each other. It, you know, it may not be a story that's loved, but the characters, I'm thinking particularly, but particularly of the jailer and the tailor, like both mm-hmm. of them are nasty pieces of work. They, they're they just out for themselves and they will do whatever it takes to get a bit of money, get a bit of standing in society. And the doctor kind of outwits them all. It's not doctor. the doctor as like a manipulator that he becomes later on. It's the doctor as just like, oh, I can see what these people are doing and I can definitely play them off against each other and yeah. get out of this alive. It's great. I, I love it. I think the setting sells it for me as well. I, I just love seeing, like, you're doing something in revolutionary France. Fantastic. Yeah, but you, you have to ask why that was the Doctor's favourite period in history, don't you? <laughs> that sort of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's like uh, the French Revolution. It's a horrible time. You might as well have showed up at the massacre, or the massacre and gone, oh, it's lovely here. I love yeah. this, this time. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> shall we move on to the romans oh yes let's now i think the romans is one of those stories that i think is quite liked now but i feel like in the 80s because it wasn't serious doctor who it had a bit of a reputation as being a bit of a clunker would would that be fair weirdly yes and i say weirdly because of the reputation it has now yeah yeah i i think so but i think it's seen as like a classic and um at least to well, I mean, to me it is, but then I love all. I love the Reign of Terror, and lots of people don't. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, by this time, Dennis Spooner has become the, the story editor for a few stories, from the Rescue through to the Chase, and then after the Chase, he writes the Time Meddler. And I think you can see bits of him in all of those epi, all of those episodes. It's a funnier mm-hmm. season. It's a warmer season, and uh, nothing represents that more than the Romans. In fact, Planet of the Giants and Daleks Invasion of Earth stand a bit of a part from this run of episodes because he you can tell they're held over from the previous season. And mm-hmm. But, you know, within the Romans, all of a sudden, you, you have this great opening where the TARDIS falls off a cliff, which is a fantastic <laughs> kind of opening for anything. And then you cut to them living this life of luxury. And it's so out of place in, in classic Doctor Who. Um, and it, it's the sort of thing you, you would expect the new series to do, but it's never really done. And I just... Yes. 
I love this idea of a companion being offered all the time and space and actually they just get a holiday in the past where they've got to eat ants. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and, and the TARDIS team just take over someone's house because they're out on holiday. Yeah, yeah. That looks like a good villa. Let's let's, let's set up shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's wild. I was going to say, look, yes, uh, this one's always felt to me almost like someone said to him, I know this didn't happen, but it's almost like someone said, hey, Dan, you know, write us another historical, but this time let the history just be a rough guide. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just have more fun. Yeah. You know, and and, and presto, we get the jokey characters, we get the great dialogue, and what a delight for a 60s story. It's only a four-parter. I know, I know, I know. Very easy to watch. Yet, despite all that, I think this is one of the stories that some people have to be coaxed towards because, yes, it's black and white. Yes, it's a Hartnell. Yes, it's an historical. Yes, it's in ancient Rome, which is probably the most cliche of cliche historical locations to go. But once people pop the DVD in and see Bill banging out the comedy and the TARDIS team having some good fun and good grief, I think you might have just hinted at this, Ian and Barbara in the villa getting out of it, you know, on the wine, you know, and have they they just done it or what? You know, (laughs) this is just great. And, you you know, it it, it still doesn't get Spooner onto the A-list with people. It's so peculiar. It's it's one of the best 60s stories, yet it still doesn't get his name up in that a tier with people yeah and i think this is like i think this is probably one of hartnell's best performances like by now he's he's the doctor but he's like the doctor that we know but he's powerful but can be soft and in certain scenes in this he's quite camp as well especially those early scenes and it's just like he's hitting all different notes with his performance and he the hartnell uh, revels in the part the doctor revels in being a part of history he's like a mischievous child and he's what I love about this version of The Doctor, and it's something I really liked about Jodie Whittaker's first season as well, is that this isn't the Doctor of War, isn't the Doctor filled with angst. It's just somebody having a fun time and getting mm-hmm. up to mischief in time and space. And I love that about the Hartnell Doctor in particular. That's These first few seasons feel like that, and nobody gets that more than Dennis Spooner. Yeah, and just talking about that performance, it's so un unheartnell like not just as the doctor but just as what you think of as hartnell just being this you know gruff old bastard you know in real life yeah and you just think i never thought he'd act like that yeah exactly and i think i think it's also kind of the camaraderie of the cast and the characters i think the cast are having a good time and so and the script's great and they are all just relishing these parts like you want to hang out with those guys you want to be in that roman villa until they all get taken into slavery of course um of but course. you want you, you want to be there for the episode that isn't there beforehand where they're just having a good time hanging around and taking the mickey out of each other oh it'd be great wouldn't it could, could you imagine this story with susan do you think she fits in the same way as vicky does no, but then again, I always think that, that Vicky is Susan done right. I know I, yeah. I upset people when I say that. <laughs> I completely agree. I, I'm not a big Susan fan, but I think Vicky is fantastic. And so I love this TARDIS team. They just, mm. They're just having so much fun in time and space for the, the whole of this series. Yeah, no, very, very good. And again, it's just such a good story, but doesn't get Spooner onto that A-list. It's maddening. No, no. and it's funny. The gags are well executed. The slapstick works well. It's got a bit of farce in there. And once again, 
I keep coming back to this, but everybody's trying to get a one-up on everyone else. You know, it's <laughs> Nero on Maximus, the Doctor on Nero, Nero's wife on Barbara, and so on. But people are murdered and brutally. They're made to fight and poison each other. And it just shows this horrible side of humanity. But again, there's compassion. You've got Tavius... Um, who looks out for Barbara when she's in slavery? Ian and his cellmate go through so much; they get enslaved, made to fight each other, but they still—they're uh-huh. still like brothers almost. And it's just like he just gets humanity, the human element of the story, so right. Yeah, I agree. Should we zip into the time meddler? Absolutely. So it's another season finale here. Yes, yes, I've got some notes on that. And what a season finale! It, it sets up a proper great mystery. You go into it expecting another Doctor Who historical story, which would, even a historical version of this by Dennis Spooner would have just, would probably have been just as great. But mm-hmm. then obviously it becomes a pseudo-historical, I think the first one of those. And it must have seemed bonkers at the time. Like we're used to Doctor Who doing stories like this, but it's such a simple idea, but he executes it so well. Yeah, he he really does. Um, I'll start in a weird way by talking about the end of the story. Okay. Because because it does put Spooner in Reign of Terror territory again, with it being end of season, as you've mentioned. And we have another odd little moment, unlike all the other adventures in the show, to sort of farewell the season. But vitally, he doesn't retread the season one thing with the Doctor making a speech. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a helpful note there for modern Doctor Who, where all Doctors now have to end their era with some sort of speech. <laughs> and it's become very samey. In, instead, we just have these images of Steve yeah. and Vicky, the Doctor, all just looking out into the star field in the background. No dialogue, just the theme tune banging away in the background. Yeah. And so not only has he done something new to end the season, he's also not cribbing from what he did just a season earlier. He could have had another little speech there, but yeah. he doesn't. No. I think, oh, that, that's really good, Dennis. But but when we look at the story itself, wow, what a what a game changer this is. And I, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't get pulled out enough as being that game changer. We get the sense that there are other folk like the Doctor out there. They they have TARDISes too. Yeah. You know, this, this is huge. It can't be undersold. You know, when we look back now, knowing 101 things about the Doctor's yeah. background and Gallifrey and all of this, it, it can be just glossed over because we know this stuff. But at the time, this adventure with the monk changed a lot of things. Doctor Who pivots on this. Again, Dennis Spooner being very, very important, <laughs> still doesn't make the A-list. No, I know. And it's such an unassuming way to meet another Time Lord. Now it would have been it will be built up over 14 episodes for the big finale. Yes. <laughs> and of course it makes sense that the other Time Lord that's out there, one of many we assume, although we don't know it's a Time Lord, of course, it's not the master. Of course, it isn't the opposite of the doctor. It isn't his Moriarty, his evil version, whatever. It's just somebody having a bit of fun and kind of meddling in time in the way that, that, that all his stories, uh, all of Spooner's stories are about meddling with time to some extent and the doctor's influence. And this, the monk is just the doctor kind of with a few less morals. He doesn't necessarily want to kill people. He doesn't, hmm. he doesn't want to take over the universe, but he just thinks it's fun because he can see the whole of time and he thinks it's fun that, you know, to speed things up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me there aren't people out there listening to this who, in his shoes, would probably do the same. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah, isn't and, it? And, and Peter Butterworth is brilliant casting in the role, but it's all there in the writing. 
Like it's it's just such a such a lovely character that it's just with loads of great one-liners and so mischievous, much like the Doctor. It's just I I just think it's great. Yeah, oh, marvelous story. Shall we move on to the big one? Yes. Now the big one's an interesting one because the Daleks' master plan we're talking about. Yeah, we we should mention (laughs) (laughs) it's so the Daleks' master plan, obviously. Terry Nation is credited as writing some of the episodes, and Dennis mm. uh, Dennis Spooner is credited as writing episodes six and eight to twelve. And Donald Tosh has said that he wrote some too, but we all know that Donald Tosh, bless him, uh, likes to take credit for other people's work. So we'll we'll never it's a know. A load of Tosh. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never know exactly kind of what the what the work balance was there. But mm. I, I, I guess my controversial opinion here is. This is the weakest one of these stories for me, not because it's a bad story. I love the Daleks Master Plan. It's a fantastic epic. But because it's the least Dennis Spooner of the lot of them. Um, Mm. And you can tell he's working with somebody else's stuff um, and somebody else's ideas. I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence that he jumps in in episode six and that's kind of one of the weaker episodes of this brilliant space opera that we've just been watching. And then... Terry Nation reportedly comes back and does the Feast of Stephen, and then he goes, great, fantastic, I, I don't have to do all this sci-fi stuff, and he gets the monk in, and we're in ancient Egypt, and he, you know, it suddenly becomes more more Spooner. Much more Spooner, yeah. I mean, th- th- there's a school of thought, and this will run contrary to, to you loving this as a big sort of epic, um, there's a school of thought that Dalek's master plan is probably a good six-parter stretched way too far. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it probably is. My controversial opinion about the Doctor Who animations, and this especially applies for Dalek's Master Plan if it's ever done, cut them down, make them shorter. I think the the reason the animations don't necessarily work for me all the time is because the animation's quite basic and you're animating a slow-moving 60s thing and you don't get the nuance of performance. Give me mm-hmm. an hour and 20 minutes version of the Dalek's Master Plan as a sprawling kind of epic in in that short amount of time and I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, now that 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 is a very good idea because yeah, some of those <laughs> where someone's just creeping around on screen, yeah, <laughs> and not much is happening. <laughs> the animation doesn't sell it at all. They could have got through Galaxy Four in about fifteen minutes if they if they cut it down that way. Oh hell yes, <laughs> um, would have saved them money to make as well. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, um, look, there, there is a school of thought that there's a six-parter stretched way too far, yeah. um, and, and Spooner is in an odd patch here. You're quite right. He's writing in someone else's story, yeah, padding it out, and it's not even dealing with history. There's a, there's a lot of sci-fi elements to, to Alex Master Plan, of course. Yeah, yeah, and I think the episodes that he does, the Ancient Egypt one and Volcano, and when they briefly appear on that cricket pitch and stuff, like they're recognisably Dennis Spooner, but I don't think... It's, they're not quite as polished and as witty as his other work, and I think that that's probably down to the time constraints and trying to fit in this larger story arc that he's been mm-hmm. lumbered with because Terry Nation didn't have time to write 12 scripts. Yeah. I, I mean, look, as as you say, he does get to do some meddling monk stuff, and, and yeah. that, that's good. But overall, I find Alex's master plan just a bit too overdone, yeah. which is maybe not helped by some of the episodes, or some of the episodes, so many of the episodes uh, missing, you know, and we're relying on audio. And I find it a bit of a drudge to listen to audio like yeah. that. And, and I can just imagine Dave has swerved off 
the road somewhere in Germany, <laughs> as I've said that, because he loves the audios. He yeah. grew up on those as a kid. Uh, but uh, but I, uh, I I have a funny relationship with them. And, and I also think sometimes, didn't we do a fun run around already in the chase? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a controversial opinion. So it's true. I've, I've never really, truly, fully been into the Daleks Master Plan as much as fandom suggests a Doctor Who fan of yeah. a certain age should be uh, into it. I don't think it's all that. That doesn't mean I hate it. I've just never really gotten into it. So I find it the hardest to judge yeah. Sort of Spooner's work for for the reasons you've mentioned and and for just my relationship with it in general. Yeah, like I think that episode, the episode ten that exists, is kind of the best representative of kind of what he was doing with it. And then, but it's very different from a lot of the others. And I really like the final episode. Again, it's if you don't like audio, you're not going to be in tune to it much because it is it, there aren't there isn't a lot of dialogue in it. You know, it's a lot of special mm. effects that we can't see and a lot going on. And it's a really kind of gripping climax. But, yeah, it, it is a bit all over the place. It is too long. But I think I would love to see it in its entirety one day. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, wouldn't wouldn't everyone? It's, it's, it's always been the holy grail. Indeed, indeed. But it's, as I said, it's not the most representative of Dennis Spooner's work. No, no, not at, not at all. But that's where his work with the, the show does end. It, it doesn't quite end there. Oh. He did an uncredited rewrite on Power of the Daleks. Um, did now, he really? Now, I believe it was only episode one, and it was all about beefing up the part of the new Doctor. Um, I think that's what, what he was drafted in for. And I think you can see a little bit of that in that early episode, because this new Doctor... It's a little bit more meddling monk. There's a bit, a bit of, of sort of Peter Butterworth about his his dialogue and his performance, but that, right, yeah. So I don't think I like this conflicting reports. I some people said it was the whole thing. Another one says it was just episode one. But if I had to guess, episode one is the most like a Dennis Spooner script, and then the rest of it seems kind of pure David Whittaker to me. Oh, that's really interesting to know. I I, I was not aware of that. Yeah, and it's it's also like. I, I did a bit of quick research and maybe somebody will, you know, message me and go, no, you're completely wrong. But he's one of those few people that did a Doctor Who, did a few Doctor Who's, was very influential. And then there's no kind of, oh, unmade story. He pitched this a few years later. He pitched this a few years earlier. He, he By the time he's done, he's just done with Doctor Who, which I think is a crying shame. Yeah, it really is. But when you, when you look at his later career, he does seem to make a, um, a thing out of doing like, two three four episodes of a yeah. lot of different shows and moving on yeah exactly like um he was great pre- he was great friends with brian clemens of uh, avengers fame and he wrote sort of four episodes of that and later he wrote like nine episodes of the new avengers uh and he was also good friends with lou grade who ran itc and i think that's where he finds his kind of niche he's i think unsurprisingly he perhaps works better in these kind of slightly camp actiony series as opposed to the sci-fi world that's not to say he didn't have do, do more sci-fi he'd done stingray and fireball xl and mm-hmm. thunderbirds but i feel when you're talking about you know things like um the, so he co-created a couple of series uh with uh, someone called monty berman uh which mm-hmm. include man in a suitcase the champions department s randall and hopkirk deceased and uh jason king and they those are much they're bigger they're broader they're shot on film they're 
you know, they, they look great and they're, they're very funny and they're action orientated. But again, they're about people. They're about the relationships between people, no matter how vile, no matter how ridiculous. And I think that is where he shines. The one series he seems to have stuck with a lot, because I'm looking down, you know, his, his contributions here, you know, two episodes of Doomwatch, three of Jason King, three of the champions and so on. Yeah. The one where he seems to have really stuck is The Baron. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's probably notable because Terry Nation developed it on the back of a series of novels by someone else. Yes. So I believe that he was he had a further commitment to Doctor Who. Whether, I can't remember whether it was Power of the Daleks or, or something else. Or maybe it was... I might be getting this wrong. If it wasn't Power of the Daleks, then it was the end of season two. But essentially Terry Nation just said come over here, I need your help getting this Baron series off the ground and we can pay you more money. And so he went. Yeah. <laughs> and must have liked it to have done 30 episodes I know, of that. I know. I've, do you know what? I've actually got that on DVD and I've only watched a couple of episodes. I was hoping, I've been in the middle of a house move and a busy job, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to throw a couple of episodes on of uh, some of Spooner's other work before this just to kind of get a feel for them. But I'm definitely pulling from memories rather than uh, recent reviewing in terms of his other work outside of Doctor Who. Yeah, look, I'll be honest. When I look at the list, there there are things I've seen, obviously, like yeah. Thunderbirds. Every kid saw Thunderbirds, you know. And and not only the new Avengers, he also did some episodes of The Avengers. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's another one I can tick. But shows like The Champions or Baron or The Baron, yeah. I've not seen. And I probably haven't seen all of Bergerac. He wrote some Bergerac. Yeah, he did. I, I mean, I remember Bergerac back in the 80s, yeah. but I wouldn't have seen all the episodes as a kid. Yeah. You know? I mean, those ITC shows like The Champions and Department S and stuff, it was very much a production line, and Lou Grade was making them for the international market. Like, there's all sorts of stories around them of them going, "We've got these sets you need from left over from the Champions for so, and we need to shoot a Department S next week. So these are the sets you've got. Write something about it." And they wow, down a bottle of red wine and write a script, and it'll be in front of cameras <laughs> by the end of the week. Great days, yeah, great days. <laughs> Oh, TV was a different beast back then. It was indeed. It was indeed. But um, I guess Spooner doesn't live very long. Um, no. You know, we, we talk about this this big career, and he's wrote, wrote episodes of all these shows, but he dies in um, September of 86. He was only 53 at the time, Dylan. Yeah, it's, it's tragic, really, because, you know, he's someone that I think had a, still a lot more to offer and I think he packed in a big career in that time don't get me wrong but I would love to have seen what he'd done next with other shows and whether there was a place for him in the television landscape of the 90s and maybe the early noughties because certainly Brian Clemens who was his good friend went was writing like he was writing through the 90s maybe we would have got a Dennis Spooner episode of Bugs or something like that who knows (laughs) Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a shame that it, his his life was cut short, and we don't know that much about him. Like, there's there's a small documentary on the Romans DVD about him. Um, there's a Myth Makers release, which is like a, a panel from a convention with him and Innis Lloyd and a few other people, which is great to watch. But you know, he sh- it's an hour long panel, and he's sharing mm. it with three other people, so right. we we don't get too much of him. He's the sort of person that. I wish somebody out there would write a, like a loving sort of biography because we get all these niche biographies now about all sorts of people involved in Doctor Who. But I think mm. you could do something interesting about his life, but is also kind of 
perhaps its focus is more on being kind of critical of the work as well and reviewing the work. I'd really love to read something like that. Yeah, that that would be very neat. Something I was thinking of while you were talking then, through, throughout this piece, I've sort of mentioned him being B-tier, or at least the perception of him as being a bit yeah. B-tier. Do you think it's because, you know, he doesn't appear in a lot of documentaries and people haven't written that book and he's just not around to give little witty remarks on, you know, new Doctor Who releases and, and things like that. He, yeah. he doesn't sit on the couch. So people just don't see him enough to th- consider him as yeah. anything else. I think nobody, I don't think he got chances to tell his story. Like, I'm sure there's some DWM interviews and stuff like that. But as you say, like, he's not a commenting voice in the history of Doctor Who. And also, the other side of it is that kids and people tend to remember the Daleks and the Cybermen and the ones with the maggots. They don't remember the ones with the Romans and the ones that were say in France, but everybody spoke English and, you know, it's kind of some people got locked up for a bit. So I can see why the only one that is really kind of, kind of ingrained into the the fan community and the fan experience is the first other time Lord, essentially. Look, my, my biggest takeaway from researching for this episode was like I mentioned a moment ago, there's a lot of TV I haven't touched as an adult that I should revisit. Mm. And, and and even some stuff that I haven't just seen at all. And The Baron does really stand out to me. Um, yeah. You mentioned having it on DVD. I looked it up last night and thought, oh, great, there's a box set of this stuff. I, I should get it because the series, if people haven't heard about it, it's, it's an antiques dealer come sometime secret agent who's part of the 60s jet set, if I've got that right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, like, what an interesting character. I, I want to see this series now. Exactly. I mean, maybe there's a, maybe there's a future Other Galaxies uh, podcast that in, in the making there, all dedicated to the Baron. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> uh, look, if I, if I get the DVDs, it's a distinct possibility. <laughs> um, but it also made me think there's always something new un- under the sun. And all it takes is just a bit of digging into a writer or a producer or whatever from this era. And suddenly tons of unexpected stuff bubbles up. Yeah. And it's all just there, ripe for the picking. And, and that's been the, the experience with me and, and the Baron in, in this case. Yeah. And uh, if anybody out there wants to experience more of his work, uh, one of my favourite series that he did was a series called Jason King, uh, which was a spin off from Department S, which the character of Jason King appears in. And it's ridiculously, it's a ridiculously camp adventure series and it's great fun. And uh, Peter Wingard of Planet of Fire fame <laughs> appears in it. And it's just, I mean, it's it's absolutely bonkers. I've got a lot of time for that. So uh, if, you, if you're into Dennis Spooner, that's, that's what I'd recommend. Awesome, awesome. Everything's connected, as Dirk Gently would say. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a Doctor Who actor in something. Exactly. All right, well, that was our take on Dennis Spoon, and now it's time to wrap up the episode, and uh, I'm going to kick off with a listener letter that we've received. Great. This one is from Neil Campbell, who is on Twitter at C. He's from Carrickfergus, Northern Ireland. Regular listeners yeah. might remember Neil from some of our earlier episodes. He says, how's it going, fellas? I know you're probably sick of hearing from me, but I thought I had to send in an email because I've too much to say than is allowed on Twitter. So here goes. Last time I checked in, I had recently discovered your show and delved into the archives whilst out running. Well, I have continued my exploration and listened to a fair few of your shows, including the Blake 7 one, 
top-notch show, albeit Series 3 is still my favourite series, but that's a story for another day. I listened back to your reviews of the Davison and Eccleston era whilst doing the gardening, and your episode on stories that you disliked as a kid but enjoy as an adult. And I'll just stop there, Dylan, and say, I saw a thread on Twitter recently, people listening to podcasts in the oddest places, and I've never had a gardening reference before. I mean, I've not heard of that, but I tell you what, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts in the bath, so, you know, that's that's my uh, weird Is place, right? I guess. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Back to Neil. Honestly, your shows are the only thing that get me through the gardening. Oh, we're back to gardening. Because I hate it more than the fifth doctor hated Tegan's whining. Okay. Speaking of the fifth doctor, I love his era. Good on you, Neil. So do I. It's so 80s, but so Doctor Who at the same time. I feel Davison is an actor ahead of his time. He's often touted as being too human, especially after Tom Baker's very alien persona. But David Tennant's Doctor is also very human and is often given high praise for it, which made me think, had Peter Davison's Doctor arrived in Christmas 2005, would he be discussed as the greatest Doctor ever? I'll pause there. Question without notice, Dylan. Would Davo be the best ever? Uh, no, I don't think he would. I think oh. I, I think he's someone that has gone through a reappraisal after kind of the initial backlash, and I think he's generally well-received now. But... Um, He's he's good, but I don't think he's certainly in the public and fan consensus. I don't think he's quite there in the the, the top tier. Okay, sorry. Back. <laughs> so, it's, it's okay. I can take it. I got broad shoulders. <laughs> Back to Neil. Uh, it's kind of similar to Timothy Dalton as James Bond. After taking over such a juggernaut era like Roger Moore's, he was often caned for taking the part in a totally different direction, much like Davison in Doctor Who. But now people are like, wow because Daniel Craig's portrayal is similar. Yeah. So there's similarities there between Tom Baker Davison and the Tenet scenario and more Dalton and the Craig scenario. But hey-ho, I still love Warriors of the Deep. I loved it as a kid and still do now. Mordron Undead is another belter in my eyes. And well, The Five Doctors is still brilliant, as is The Visitation in Case of Androzani. And I love Turlow's sneaky heel persona. All in all, the Davison era rocks. Oh, that, that's fantastic. And the Davidson era does rock, but I, I think my favourites and his favourites probably jar a little bit. Oh, OK. <laughs> Back to Neil. Anyhow, I'm rambling on again. But keep up the good work. It's great listening to your shows. And honestly, it gets me through cutting the grass. <laughs> also, I mentioned on Twitter last week about a Series 3 review. So I'm mentioning it here again. Can't wait to hear your takes on it when it rolls around. Cheers, Alonzi, Neil Campbell. Well, thank you, Neil. And yes, Series 3, we, we will do one day. We'll get to everything one day. Uh, it's a, we, it, we just get there the long way around, to yeah. use a Doctor Who sort of example. So there's a lot of airtime to fill. You'll, you, I have no doubt one day there'll be the complete works of Doctor Who as reviewed by the Doctor Who show. <laughs> It'll be a university subject. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You look back and, like, it's, it's been seven years of making the show and you think, oh, we must run out of topics soon. And yet, no, there is always a new topic, whether it's you saying, hey, let's do Dennis Spooner. Have you done Dennis Spooner? It's yeah. like, oh, no. Or how about Series 3? Have you done Series 3? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yet we're seven years into this thing. Yeah, but, you know, and also there's always different ways of looking at things. As you said, like you did a Season 1 poll recently and now you're doing Dennis Spooner and there's some overlap there, but it's being looked at from, from different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thanks thanks again, Neil. Uh, let's round out. Uh, what have we been watching? 
or consuming this uh, this month, Dylan? Well, um, Paramount Plus has just landed in the UK, so... Um, oh, I see. That was late, wasn't it? Yes, it was very late. Um, and I, I have been watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, I, I need to sort of preface this saying I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. I'm definitely more of a fan than most of my peers, but I would say, like, my Star Trek is the movies that were of, of the 80s and 90s, and mm-hmm. I've definitely seen most of the classic series at least once and then bits of others, but I've never really committed to watching a series all the way through. But I'd seen such great reviews of Star Trek Strange New Worlds that I thought I'd give it a go, and I'm absolutely loving it. Like, we're about six episodes in in the UK at the moment. They're dropping one a week, and it is mm-hmm. just like, a. Um, I'm sure... You know, you, you'll cover this to no end on the podcast, so I won't say too much about it. But it, it's just a, it's just such a lovely classic bit of television that's a prequel to Star Trek, but kind of made with modern production techniques. And you know, it's very simple. You know, it's there are arcs running through it, but it's not this big overpowering story. I watched the Picard as well, which I quite enjoyed, but I didn't think was any good. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> only way I could put it. But Strange New World is just. You don't see much television like this at the moment, to be perfectly honest. That's what everyone's been saying about it, yeah. Yeah, so it was it was really nice, and I'm just loving every episode of it. It's really kind of genre-hopping, and it's going back to the serialised kind of format. It's just been fantastic. So that's that's my favourite show I've been watching at the moment. Mm-hmm. Other shows, uh, I just started watching uh, the new Netflix version of Resident Evil, based on the game there's been several films of. And it's, several films, yeah. about fifty-six, I think. Yeah, well, last count. Yeah, there's, there's been loads of them, <laughs> and it's it's a real mixed bag this series. But I'm sticking with it. It's not spoilers to say it because you'll get this from watching the first two minutes of it. There's uh, something set in the future where the T virus has ravaged the Earth, and then there's something set around the time that the T virus is obviously going to be released. And for me, all the stuff in the future works really well and I'm really invested and all the stuff set in the sort of present day in inverted commas isn't isn't doing it for me. So I'm really conflicted that I love 50% of every episode. <laughs> there are shows like that. I can't think of any off the top of my head, which which annoys me greatly, but I've, I've watched shows like that where it's like, I'm really enjoying this side of it, yeah. all these characters in this part, but this other... Oh, look, the latest Stranger Things people who have seen it will know all the stuff set in Russia I couldn't have cared less about it was so boring but seeing the kids in California I was eating up so there's an example yeah I'm glad I thought of one I had that with uh, Game of Thrones which I always described as a soap opera for people who don't like soap operas because you (laughs) all those it did this thing where there was enough storylines in it that you were invested in enough to keep you going. And every time you thought about quitting, they do something completely radical and you had to stick around for another season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Resident Evil, I, I give it 50% thumbs up. Um, okay. And then the other... So it's, that's like a cut-off thumb, is it? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing I've been watching, uh, which I'm sure everybody else has been watching, is that I just finished Obi-Wan. I came to it a little mm-hmm. late because I was just busy with work. Again, a bit of a mixed bag. Bits of it I loved. Bits of it I thought were absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Again, I think it's this thing of I grew up loving Star Wars, but I, I, I think I just live in a world where I really love those three films and nothing takes that away from me, but I'm less invested in the kind of spin-off media that's all the, the further adventures that are happening now. And I'm, I'm fine with that because it doesn't, 
it doesn't you know do anything to those three films that I love but Obi-Wan is probably the nearest kind of with the exception I, I loved Rogue One but I think um, Obi-Wan's probably the nearest I've got to really loving any of the Star Wars TV shows even though there are a, a few shocking moments in my opinion Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I'm kind of interested in this new Zack Snyder Rebel Moon thing. Yeah. Because he did pitch it as a Star Wars yeah. thing, so I think it's heavily Star Wars flavoured, but when it does come out on Netflix, whenever that is, it's obviously not Star Wars anymore, so we'll be getting a space opera-y, Star yeah. Wars-y thing without it actually being having to be shoehorned into Star Wars. And I think that might let it breathe a bit better. Yeah, I think it also comes without the weight of expectation of seeing characters you love or have heard about or read about in spin-off media or have seen in the Clone Wars or something like that and yeah. and seeing it done not how you would want it to, to, to be done, essentially. Yeah, well, his big pitch to Star Wars, I think, was let's make Star Wars a bit more... Um... I guess Dark, Dark and Volley is doing an Eric Sayward on Star Wars, I think. And, and that's probably why it got rejected. Yeah. So it will be a more gritty sort of space opera thing. It might be more in the direction of Dune, maybe. I yeah. don't have no idea. Maybe. You know. But I'm looking forward to seeing it, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, for me, I just watched Pistol, okay. which is a six-part limited series about the Sex Pistols nice. uh, on Disney+. Plus. Danny Boyle directs. It's it's a game of two halves. There are bits of it that I think, oh, that's really well done. Like, they splice a lot of 70s, real 70s footage into the into the mix, and then you'll sort of have characters in that same location being filmed for the episode. So mm. there's, a, there's a blending of, like, real footage and, and stuff filmed for the show. I'm probably explaining that terribly, but <laughs> hopefully people know what I mean. Yeah. Character-wise, they're a bit all over the shop. I was... Like, at times, the Johnny Rotten character, I think, oh, yeah, that's something Johnny Rotten would do. And other times, I think, no, that's not. Yeah. The characters were, were a bit hit and miss for me. It might say something that I thought Chrissy Hind was the most interesting character in it, and she's okay. not obviously in the Sex Pistols, yeah. but Chrissy Hind is a character in the in <laughs> yeah. the series. And, yeah. and I kind of enjoyed her arc through the story, <laughs> maybe more than the Sex Pistols themselves. It, it's mm. it's like you, you got a, a biography, and indeed, they did. They, they did get... Um, jones's biography the the guitarist um to make this and it's like they've just cut out here's a scene here's a scene here's a scene and just glued it all together which is maybe a very punk thing to do maybe i'm missing some sort of a metatextual meaning or something but it it didn't quite land for me yet i felt compelled to watch every episode if that makes sense yeah i know exactly you you kind of want to see how it ends and there's enough going on that you you kind of need to stick with it even if you're not 100% 100% enjoying it all. Yeah. Also, briefly, I, I picked up the DVD of All Creatures Great and Small Season 2. This is the new right. remake. So I, I've now seen that. I know, I know it's aired like a year or more ago on TV, but I just don't have a, a streaming service like BritBox that actually has it on it. So I picked up the disc for like 10 bucks or something nice. and, and watched it. And it's just sweet gentle television i've seen the stories before indeed i've read them before i even saw them as stories originally you know so it's like it's like watching a greatest hits package (laughs) done by a covers band sort of thing but it's still very nice to watch i think that's good i'm still watching james may our man in italy on netflix at the moment which is james may getting around italy very similar to his uh, japan series that he did a few years earlier Mm. and finally you've been watching strange new world's 
uh, and saying how good it is to do this episode of the week, classic sort of Star Trek stuff. I've been watching The Orville, which does very much the same thing. And I think got off to such a bad start with people because the first episode or two were very jokey and people thought, oh, well, it's a the next generation comedy show yeah. sort of thing. They would show trailers where the captain would run through, there's a there's a character who's a blob and he runs through the blob and he's like, oh, sorry. You know, people are like, oh, that must be the humour. But no, even in the first series, it rapidly changed from being a very jokey series into something more serious. Yeah. Like the third episode of the first series it's it's a sex reassignment episode. I've actually um, watched about four or five episodes of the first season recently. I'd not seen it before, but I'd heard people talking about it. And it was actually because I saw you giving it such props on Twitter that I was like, I must give this a go. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah. And while I've taken a little break just because I, I got sucked into uh, Strange New Worlds and I've been very busy... I am going to go back to it and I think I'll probably carry on with it. Like it's been, it, it's, you know, it's quite high concept stuff for something that is also quite light and frothy at the same time. Oh yeah. Like I say, it does change tone in that first series. The second mm. series again changes even more. There's a big war in the second series. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife and I would look at each other and go, it's, it's, it's meant to be a comedy. You know, <laughs> that, that's sort of our joke whenever something happens. Even last night's episode, we watched an episode last night from the third series and something extremely brutal, absolutely the most brutal thing I think I've seen on TV all week happened. <laughs> we looked at each other and went, it's a comedy. <laughs> so yeah, look, it's very different to the perceptions of it. I wish more people would watch it. I don't think it's getting a fourth series oh, no. because all the actors were let go from their contracts oh, last year. That's a shame. Which is a shame because people are watching this. People who are watching this third series, like this, is fantastic. This is, yeah. you know, really fun. But mm, there it is. Oh, that's a shame. But you never know. In the modern television landscape, nothing's ever truly dead, is it? No. And and Seth MacFarlane really, really loves the concept. I've seen him on YouTube, and it's not hyperbole. He says this is the most rewarding thing I've done in Hollywood. Wow. You know, not any of the films he's made. Not. 20 seasons of family guy not any of that it's it's the orville because i think he might have grown up on classic star trek and yeah. classic sci-fi and stuff and to be making it he sees as a as a privilege and just the greatest thing he's ever done so i'm sure he would bring it back if he could yeah and i'm, I'm sure i'm at the very least i hope it gets uh, if it, i don't know whether it finishes on a cliffhanger but i hope it gets a resolution yeah i've been wondering about that myself because we are rapidly coming towards that episode yeah well fingers crossed mm. Yeah. Now, quickly, uh, we're going to be putting up a poll for our next episode because Dave and I will be taking a deep dive on a classic story. You know, the drill, dear listeners, this is where Dave picks a couple and I pick a couple, you vote, and then we do whatever you like. Dave's picks that will be on this poll, which probably go up about a day or two after this episode goes out, are The Ark and Revenge of the Cybermen. Okay, interesting. My picks... Terror of the Autons and the Deadly Assassin. Interesting. You've definitely gone for two kind of revered classics, and uh, Dave has not. But <laughs> and we didn't plan it that way. Yeah. But uh, I will be voting for Revenge of the Cybermen when that poll goes up. So uh, will you? Yes, I will. I, I, I just I've got a soft spot for that story, and I want to hear what you guys have got to say about it. Well, you know, it, because if we don't do an episode on it, this will this anecdote won't get out there, so I'll say <laughs> it now. It was 
probably no it was it was the first doctor who d uh, not dvd doctor who vhs release i um i saw back in the day i'd obviously been watching doctor who on television a lot as a kid because we had repeats coming out the wazoo but as as a vhs release one of those proper ones that was in a video store it was revenge of the cybermen for me so that's the same for me but i so i got into doctor who with the last season of classic doctor who and so i knew doctor who as uh sylvester mccoy and sophie aldred and then I asked my uncle to get me a Doctor Who video for Christmas, thinking not knowing there were any other Doctors. And I got handed, oh, really? yeah, I got handed this VHS, a sort of age seven. And I remember having an instant kind of recoil at the theme tune of going, "What have they done to the theme tune? This is terrible!" And what's <laughs> like, you know, and like, who who were these characters? And then within about ten minutes, I was I was in. That's when I became a fan. I think. Oh, that's awesome. But I literally remember, because obviously people go, I don't like the logo of the McCoy era, don't like the theme tune. And I remember thinking, what is this terrible looking thing? It looks really old watching uh, the the 70s titles roll on Revenge of the Cybermen. Now that is an anecdote you could write in a letter to us if we do that episode. <laughs> I will Just do. Saying. I will do. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we go, you mentioned the Doctor Who Too Hot for TV podcast is or has been on hiatus, but is coming back. Yes. Where can people find that? Where can people find more of you out there, Dylan? So I'm on uh, Twitter as Dylan Does Who, and then you can find the Doctor Who Too Hot for TV podcast on all your podcatchers, pod streamers, whatever they're calling them. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Who Too Hot for TV covers the extended universe of Doctor Who. We don't do the TV series at all, so it's a, a pleasant change to come on this podcast and get to talk about actual televised Doctor Who. But we do we do books, we do uh, Big Finish, we do BBVs, anything. We've done we've done the Give a Show projector, we've done annual stories, anything like that. Yes. And it's yeah, yeah. And it started off with uh, me and my brother doing it, but he's no longer doing it. Um, and now I have guest hosts on every time. So the next season should be starting at the end of August. Um, and there'll be six or seven new episodes, all with fantastic new guests on. Uh, some of them picking things that they love, they loathe. And, you know, some of them being picked things by me in the hope that they'll enjoy them or at least we'll have a great fun ripping it apart. That's really exciting because I I know because I've been on the show when I came on, dear listeners, we talked about Doctor Who non-fiction books and we covered an awful lot of those big coffee table (laughs) books in the space of an hour or so. We did and it was great fun and we'll have to have you back at some point for an episode in the future. We'll have to think of another topic. (laughs) There are many. I'm sure there are many. (laughs) There are. Great. So all I have to do now, Dylan, is is thank you for coming on today's show. It's been a real treat to have you on, filling in for Dave while he's in Europe. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me and letting me uh, talk um, about Dennis Spooner and his works. And as I said, it's great to talk about actual Doctor Who and I will happily come back any time. Absolutely. And look, if, if you're out there, do dip into the reign of terror, the Romans, the time meddler. Go and have a look at his work. See what you think of Dennis Spooner if, uh, if he needs a bit of a reappraisal in your world. Indeed, indeed. All right, then. On that note, I've been Rob. And I've been Dylan. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>